0: It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back,
1: Sports to the Max. Joining us in the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline, Mike Gensel's seen a lot in his hockey life. This week you see the... Gophers playing the Frozen Four, Minnesota State Mankato, and the last time the Gophers won it, he was on the staff. Uh, XL Energy Center, they won it. Then the next year with Thomas Vanek, and uh, he scouts for the NHL, and oh yeah, he's got a son that plays for the Pittsburgh Penguins that scored a big goal against the the Wild uh, last week as well. Mike, Mike were, you, were you at that game?
2: Yes, I was, Mike. That was a lot of fun.
1: Do you get nervous still after, you know, he's done so much, he's been a part of it for so long, do you get nervous watching him?
2: Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, you're always a little uptight and animated during the game. I mean, you certainly, when you come back into this environment here and the way it's going at the X with the wild, uh, you know, the big crowd and everything, and you know, it was just kind of neat to see a lot of people walking outside with his jersey on before the game, but it was, you know, you certainly uh, hope he plays well, and that's for the anxiety kind of lies is that he just wanted to do well, and, you know, obviously uh, scoring a goal was uh, icing on the cake.
1: What's it feel like when he gets one, when you know it, all of a sudden you go, oh my, a play develops, and you realize it was him?
2: You know, it's interesting. Uh, I, I mean, you, I go to so many games now, and I sit in the press box and I watch a lot of good players. And you know, then when you, you just kind of always compare. Like, I mean, geez, I can't believe Jake's doing this, or I can't believe he's playing in this environment. Mm. And then he scores in that game like that. And you know, I've seen the Wild play a lot of good home games this year. A lot of good players coming and going, and um, just to be able to see him score against quality team like that. Uh, You know, we were sitting in uh, the second deck there uh, in the suite level and it was really kind of neat. I mean, Jake had a group there so it was fun and Everybody was really excited. and I knew he would play hard and play well. He just never expected to, to go that well. But the last couple of times he's been here, he's been able to score. And hopefully uh, in the future, he can come back in here and kind of do the same thing.
1: Well, can, you know, I hear how popular he is in, in Pittsburgh uh, uh, with the fans and a, a fan favorite, which is a surprise to no one, I don't think. But, but w- w- what does that feel like when you're in Pittsburgh and you're just a fly on the wall and, and, and you know people don't know you're his parent?
2: You know, I don't think you're ever going to get used to it. Like I said, I mean, just seeing the amount of people that walk in with jerseys here in the Twin Cities, uh, let alone when you go to Pittsburgh. I mean, you're always going to see 87, 71, and 58. But I Mm -hmm. think, you know, 59 is right in there with, you know, the popularity of the jerseys. You know, it's just something you never really expect. I mean, I still can't believe he played a game in the NHL, let alone had some of the success he's had. So, you know, you try to you know, keep him grounded. I know he's a humble guy, but, uh, you know, it's uh, certainly him. for it. Uh, He's excited. And It just amazes me every time I go out to Pittsburgh to see the, the amount of support that he gets and the enthusiasm he generates at a game.
1: Mike Gensel, you are a scout in the NHL. Tell me about the Minnesota Wild when you watch them play. What do you see?
2: Well, I mean, listen, you could talk about the new terms in hockey. I mean, obviously, they're a big, strong team, but they're really a heavy team. I mean, they just grind battle, and, you know, that one line with 14, 17, and 18 set the tone for them, and, you know, they just push the puck down below the hash marks, and they get after defensemen, and, you know, they score a lot of greasy garbage goals around the net just with the second and third efforts, and you know, they're a hard team to play against. They have a really good decor that's physical, and they can move, and, you know, they're getting quality goaltending now. I think, you know, obviously Flurry's you know, made the other guy level, or bring his level up, and they're pushing each other, so, you know, you look at it, I mean, I, I said to my wife the day, I mean, we were able to get two points that night, and now I'm going to be a huge wild fan on the weekend as they go to Carolina and Washington, and lo and behold, they sweep four points against teams that Pittsburgh battling for with uh, positions in their, in their division, so um, they're a great team. I mean, they what is their record here? The last 15 games is pretty darn remarkable. Yeah. They've made some good changes to their team, and they're just... You what their quality team and, and Kaprizov is just at a different level and he's elevated Zuccarello and you know I always maybe say to you know certain people I mean there's not a lot of guys that get you out of your seat even when you're a scout at the game but when you know, 97 picks up the puck you'd start to rise and think something really good's going to happen any moment and it usually does.
1: Is, is the fact that he's so strong in his, his lower body does that make him a, a nightmare to play against because you, you can't just take him out of his game because he, he's more than willing to muck it up?
2: Yeah, he's got great balance, great edge control. Um, he's a powerful guy. I mean, he's got a low center gravity and... I mean, last night, there was a perfect sample behind the net. He just took contact. Uh, the contact doesn't bother him. matter of fact, it, it kind of opens up space for him. And then he has such great vision that anybody in the offensive zone on his team is dangerous at any moment because he just makes highlight plays. And, you know, he's a dual threat. He can score and he can beat you with a pass. So, I mean, you have to be on your toes at all time. And, you know, when he and Zuccarello get it going, boy, that puck isn't on each other's stick very long and it's on the other guy's stick in a heartbeat and you do something good really happens off to off of that so um he's a special player there's no doubt about it And just a blend of skill and power and, and just you know he's got speed so he's got a lot of the qualities you like in a player like that
1: mike gensel is our guest uh nhl scout right now uh for arizona so he sees a lot of these uh different teams and players etc but mark andre fleury you're also connected to because there's billy Guerin in the pittsburgh connection of course so you're very familiar with his game uh, what did you think when they acquired him and what have you seen
2: well, listen, I mean, I, I, I read that he wasn't having a very good year in Chicago, but I mean, listen, Chicago wouldn't be anywhere near where they're at without Fluttery, and that wasn't, you know, they weren't obviously a really strong team, but they wouldn't even have been close to the points they'd acquire without the level of play. I, I don't see much drop-off in his game, even though he's 37. I mean, he's got an ability, as the great players do, to level bring his level up, but he also elevates the players around him. I mean, just look at the comments that have come out of the locker room since he's been there, whether it's, you know, how excited they are or the aweness of. But, you know, having him on the team and, you know, how he's just, you know, is so, you know, his practice habits, his game habits. I mean, I watched him the other night after the, in the Pittsburgh game. I mean, ever, almost everybody left on the ice after warm-up, and he's taking breakaways from Caprizov and Zuccarello, which you've never seen in an NHL game, and it's competition between the three of them. And, you know, that's what he does. He just elevates players. I mean, Jake was fortunate enough in 2017 to play with him, I mean, he got called into the first-round game five minutes before the start When the starter went down with an injury in a warm-up, and, you know, he won two and a half series for the Penguins and put him in a position to go back to back. And that's just the kind of level of competitor he is. And um, he's just a special human and a, and a special goalie.
1: So when you're scouting a player like that and you're trying to decide whether or not your organization should trade for him, does the fact that he was willing to be waive the no trade clause, even though he's made all the money he needs to make and all that stuff, Does that tell you a lot about him? Because that tells you you got somebody where winning's uh, more important than anything? Because he he didn't have to take a trade. He could have just stayed in Chicago.
2: Yeah, and I think what it says about the Wild is he really looked at the Wild. I know he was there three, four days beforehand, sitting on the bench as a backup on a Saturday afternoon, but took a look around from what I read and saw and and said, you know what, this team, this environment, uh, you know, this is what a Stanley Cup contender looks like. And And obviously Bill did a good job of, you know, being a former teammate of his and an executive of his, selling him on the opportunity with the Wild. But I I don't think he comes unless he legitimately thinks the Wild have a chance to to do well in the Western Conference and advance past that. So I think he looked at the opportunity and said, this is probably something I can't pass up at this point in my career is another chance to, you know, put another ring on my finger potentially.
1: Michael, you've watched a lot of playoff hockey too the last uh, several years with your son participating, and always with an eye of a scout as well. How how does it change once you get to the playoffs? What's what's the biggest change from regular season to playoffs?
2: Well, I think you know, there's you know, first of all, every inch of the ice is more competitive. It's competed harder for than any point in the regular season. I mean, certainly. Uh, Guys know what's at stake. There's a lot of guys that want to have a chance to raise that cup over their heads. So every loose puck battle is, you know, is, is ferociously competed for, like, like nobody does in the, in the regular season. And you can't play like that for 82 games over six and a half, seven months. But in a two-month run, you know, that's what the cup means to a lot of players, and they just compete for every inch of ice and every puck and. You know, every free space in front of a net and, you know, every physical contact to try to battle in the war of attrition to wear somebody down over a potential seven-game series. So it's uh, it's a special sport at a special time, and you can see it even now with 10, 12 games to go with – playoff positions on the line and these teams playing each other in their divisions knowing that the potential matchups might be there in the first round and you know they're trying to set the tone right now i know the penguins have a game on thursday night in new york and you know that's a potential first round matchup but it's the last game before they potentially meet and you're gonna you know you might want to send some messages and, and certainly establish you know your confidence and your belief that your game is better than their game and you know, what way better to do it than do it with 10 games to go and then fine-tune coming into the playoffs.
1: When, uh, when I watch that trade deadline, I start to see people getting moved. I always think this, I think, how do you know as an organization when it's time to move someone? Is there a certain age you feel like when, when, when guys get to a point where you go, yeah, it ain't going to happen, or you categorically say, you know what, they're just going to be a third liner. Is there an age where you say, hey, if they ain't there yet, they ain't going to get there?
2: Well, I, you know what? A lot of it being in the room now, like I have the last couple of years, Mike, I mean, every team is different. I mean, they're at different levels. You certainly have teams. Like, uh, I look at teams in my region. I mean, there's, there's teams that are rebuilding. There's teams that are legitimate uh, contenders. And there's teams that are, have Stanley Cup aspirations. So there's maybe three or four different levels. And if you're the... Stanley Cup contenders, you're going to add pieces that you know either create depth in your lineup or, or fill up, you know, maybe a face-off specialist or a penalty kill type of specialist situation. I don't think you're going to acquire a lot of top two-line players, but you're going to fill out the depth of your lineup. If you're a rebuilding team, I mean, you might move some assets to look to the future and get some amateur picks uh, uh, or a young prospect that just hasn't had the opportunity on a, on a contender because you just, you know, they're built to win now type of deal. And so it's, it's different for everybody, but I I do think there's an age level where, you know, you have to balance between the level of experience of a 37-year-old who's won three Stanley Cups or a guy maybe who's, you know, in his, in his early 30s, that might be on the decline at some point And, you know, you might sell high uh, as opposed to getting stuck a year or two from later and the value is not quite there. So there, there's a few things that go into it.
1: Michael, the Gophers are in the Frozen Four. They'll play Minnesota State, Mankato, Michigan, sitting out there, DU. Uh, What's it been, 20 years since the Gophers, when you won it at the X? Is that what it was? Yeah,
2: it was... You know what? We're having a reunion again this summer, and yeah, it's been uh, it's been a long time—two, three. I mean, it's just crazy how fast oh it goes. I, it, don't,
1: I don't even. Yeah, but because it just, doesn't seem like that long ago. But what do you remember? You know, obviously the Goers have had a lot of good teams. Lots of teams do. Uh, what's the difference between winning it and losing it when you get to the Frozen Four when everybody seems like they're so close?
2: Yeah, you know what? It's. It's interesting. Something years you think you're built to win, and I know that we won it back to back, and we actually thought that next year when guys came back with Nate Schmidt and Butchett and some of these guys, that we were going to have a better team. And you know, um, it just didn't work out. I mean, whether it's a balance or whether it's you know maybe that little extra edge that you know you've already got to the mountain as opposed to keep climbing to get to the top to see what's at the top. I mean, there's a lot of little factors involved. I mean, I watched a few minutes of the regionals, and you could certainly see that everybody very close. Um, you know Michigan obviously looks like they have a little more skill I think the Gophers are in that category but teams defend hard they all have good goaltending I I think the coaching nowadays is is a little bit more equal across the board, just for your experience and, you know, the way the game is being played. And, and then some of it's the way the game is being officiated, too. Like, if you have a good power play and all of a sudden you get one or two extra opportunities, things work out. But it ought to be interesting. I mean, it's kind of neat that two Minnesota schools will go at it, and then, you know, two teams like Denver and Michigan will play, and, you know, certainly it's going to be a really contested a frozen Four. I think, you know, probably right at this point four teams that are playing really well that are there, and not just because they won the region but I think they've had good years and they've trended well here the last month and a half which you normally have to do I don't think you just all of a sudden rise up and play you know two good games and win the whole thing you got to have a pretty good team top to bottom and, and and do it over a course of time.
1: Yeah, this Dryden McKay has got like 30 shutouts or whatever in his career from Minnesota State Mankato, their goalie. And I was, I was asking somebody, I don't remember who, if he's uh, you know, an NHL prospect. And they said, nah, he might be too short. Why Why are we so hell-bent right now on a goalie you have to be? In? It's almost like basketball. If you're not 6'2", forget it.
2: Yes, yeah, great question, Mike, and it does happen. I mean, certainly I am a father of a son who's under six feet and people say he's too small, too slow, too this, too weak, you know, whatever it may be. The goaltending thing, I mean, there's a lot of old school mindset that you have to be the cookie cutter size of six one to six three and you know, six feet is too small and six five is too big. I mean, but I-, I do think the game unfortunately is going back to, you know, bigger, stronger guys. You hear I mean a lot of people talking about having big, strong, heavy players nowadays and um, you know, just because it makes it so difficult to get to the net and protect your net. And so it, it's frustrating. I mean, a kid like that has proved himself with a good coaching staff, a good program. And uh, he's done it over a course of time. This isn't just a one year blip. I mean, he's been really good for four years and, um, and it's crazy that he's even back based on what he did in three years. It's almost crazy that he's back for a fourth yeah. year. But, you know, people look at it and say, you know, maybe he doesn't have this quality or maybe he's a product of the environment. I don't know. I don't see as many college games. But it is incredible that, you know, people in their own minds – think that the net coverage of a guy who's six feet or under isn't what it needs to be and the shooters are too good at the NHL level but you know it's a fine line I see guys that you know people say can't play in the NHL and all of a sudden I turn on the game tonight or yesterday and guys are playing in the NHL I mean it's about the opportunity and it's about the belief that somebody has in you and uh, you know certainly giving a a guy a chance to, to compete in a successful environment that's you know well structured so I you know we traded for a kid from Mankato and you know this Nathan Smith, and certainly, hopefully, he does well in the Frozen Four. But you know, everybody's always worried about you know one thing or the other. And to me, you know, it comes down to the kid's character and his heart, and you know, certainly his hockey sense and being able to process the game. Because you can always be a little quicker if you're you're smarter. And you know, that's uh, those are the important intangibles more so than you know what a guy looks like on the height and weight scale.
1: Yeah. Last question along those lines. I was done in spring training. I was visiting with Rod Carew a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about yeah, you're you're an baseball player too Mike the, the, you know, the tendency the same way You know, you know got if you're going to hit home runs it's a lot easier to hit home runs if you're 6'3", 220 than it is if you're 5'10", 175 and Rod made an interesting point that I hadn't thought of he, he was very concerned about that being the trend in baseball because he said every kid needs to dream that they can play and if we start to tell them that now in baseball too the last bastion the last you know the last place where where you where you could be small and still be successful maybe soccer too if we start to tell them they've got to be bigger you know linebacker size to play we're going to eliminate the dreams and and those kids that that learn how to play the game the right way and hit the ball the other way and they're not they're going to quit playing baseball because they're going to say what what's the use I'm not 63 I'm not 64 I can't even play second base this size um That is a little bit, I hadn't thought of it in those terms, but there is a rippling effect across the board, isn't there?
2: There's no question. I mean, and that's always the concern. I mean, you do get, you know, certain kids get frustrated, maybe they drop out of it or give it up and... You know, that, that's hard to overcome at times, and I, that's what I hope doesn't happen. I mean, I love to see kids play multiple sports, and you see so much more now of kids just playing one sport and throwing everything in that one basket, and, you know, hopefully uh, they get an opportunity, but you can see that, you know, with what he's saying, that, you know, dreams are being crushed and opportunities are being taken away from guys. I mean, it's amazing. I do watch baseball, even spring training games, you know, relentlessly because there's sports on TV, and it's fun to watch for me personally, but, you know, it's just like the difference now, seeing a shortstop or a second baseman compared to 15 years ago, yeah. it's remarkable the size of these guys. Yeah, and Carlos Correa, in, you know? You know, just the game in general. Three infielders on one side and, yeah. you know, guys not barely hit the ball the other way. and Guys just having pull-happy, you know, mindsets that, you know, it's home run or nothing. I mean, as a fan, actually, it makes it hard to watch the game, quite honestly, because I like to see runs. I like to see strategy. I like to see people moving runners around. I mean, my dad was a baseball coach, and I was a bad boy for a long time, and that's how I learned the game, and you know, you you learn the fundamentals and the inside and the outs of the game, and um, it, to me, that that's kind of going away. But yeah, you're right. I mean, the size of the kids, and you know, the different types of things that are going on now with the training and everything that goes into it, it's just it's different now, and it's kind of frustrating because there is a lot of people. I mean, certainly in hockey, usually you see some of the smarter players and the quicker players are a little bit of the smaller players, but they've had to be. You know, they had to yeah. overcome some of the obstacles of size and you know some of the you know the, how the level is being. You you know, developed and coach. But it is what it is, and, you know, hopefully uh, you can still have some of the purity of just having smart players and athletic kids. and No matter what their size is, uh, still be able to accomplish good things.
1: That's right. Marble Mallards would bunt him over, and then they let Jim Stoll knock it in even late in his career. So it was a different well, absolutely. Yeah. And then
2: he'd go out and pitch the ninth inning. And yeah, go and, one, and he just passed away, away
1: a couple of weeks ago, too. One of the yeah, I know. Breaks. My dad talks
2: about him. Yeah, it's kind of sad. You know, I mean, he just guys like that i remember playing for him one day and i'm playing second base in Marble one night and he's managing the team and he keeps telling me to back up and back up and i'm at second base and I, you know i don't think my arm is that strong and i'm like i gotta keep both feet in the deep dirt he's telling me no I'll take two three four five steps back cut off more holes and i'm like man that's a long throw. but i mean these guys know the game and you know this is just the way it is but uh, uh it's fun I mean, you yeah those are good memories like absolutely oh they yeah. are good memories how are you doing
1: I'm hanging in there. you know. I might even come out of retirement and play another summer. We'll see.
2: Yeah, well, <laughs> and I'll, I'll let you goes.
1: go, though. But, Michael, thank you so much. Always fun to cover a few different topics with you.
2: Okay, Max. Always great to talk with you. All yep. the
1: best. We'll do it again soon. Mike Gensel. There, there you go. That's covering ground at every level because he can cover ground at every level. Take a break. Come back. Sports to the Max. Welcome back. Sports to the Max. When we come back, it's a little bit more sobering. Uh, another star athlete. Gunned down, killed in St. Paul. Don't know if he was, what he was a part of or what went into it, but it was a sad, sad story that resonated last week. Uh, uh, certainly over there, but beyond. And when we come back, we'll visit with Brian Sanifer. He's seen many, many that he has coached and seen, uh, and he knew this young man very well. And And the streets claim them. Why does it keep happening? Why? We'll ask him that when we come back. Stay with us on Sports to the Max. Brian Santafer uh, is very involved in Saint Paul. A number of different things: school for recording arts, uh, sizzle basketball program, and much more. And and he he hurts when somebody from the family uh, is taken from them, so to speak. And they've had many, many over the years uh, lives lost to gang violence, gun violence, and things like that. People that he's coached, people that he knew, people that he's given second chances to. Uh, it happened again last week with a young man from St. Paul Central, Dion Ford. Brian joins us on the uh, John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Uh, Brian, always good to visit with you. Tough when it's extenuating circumstances. And I, I watched last week and listened, and I, I ran to Larry Suggs at the uh, women's Final Four, and he was grieving, and we were talking about it. Um, we see these, and, and 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 they become a statistic to us. And we may even see some video and some family members that 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 cry or mourn the loss. You know them as people. Just give me the profile of, the, of this young man that that looked like he had at least great athletic potential. Uh, in Dion Ford, who was he, and, and how did it strike you?
3: Dion Ford was a was a ball of energy, just a a smile. I used to call him Jimmy Carter sometimes because every time we every time we see him, we see, him we see all his teeth. You know, he was always full of positive energy. Uh, he was a kid that come from you know limited resources. Mom, mom did his best job she could to help raise him. She did a good job, you know. But you know, he a lot of times, you know, when with a kid like Dion, you know, Larry Suggs, myself, Carl West, who's a brother to me, who's a mentor to him, his son Kai West, uh, were uh, good friends growing up we're, we're kind of like the big, you know, big brother venture figure to him, and uh, you know, he was a guy that we were, we were, especially myself and Larry, when it came to basketball, two guys that he leaned on heavily when it come to uh, his basketball career, and and always, you know, wanted to have it out. You know, he, if we ever had opportunities for him to play, he would play with us. He would go out of town with us. We make sure he was okay. Uh, one particular incident that stands out with him about me. You know, I talked about it. That stands out the most was. When he was in ninth grade, he's going to ninth grade. He told me he's always gonna play with Sizzle, and he showed. He, told he got the trials, he ran up to the coach. I told you I was gonna be here. We came to tryouts. He did really good. He made our top team at that time. You know, had like Caden Johnson, Terry Lockett. They had a really, really good team, and we had to go to Milwaukee for a tournament.
1: Yep.
3: And uh, De- De- Deion said, "Coach, I don't, I don't have my, my whole team, people. Two hundred dollars is all I got." Yeah. I said, "No problem." He gave us gave my Larry and myself two hundred dollars. We get to the gym. Dion was like, we're ready to play in an hour. Dion didn't have any tennis shoes to wear for the tournament, hmm. so Larry yells me right into his beat. Says Brian, please give Jalen's mother Molly uh, some money to get Dion his, you know, Dion a pair of shoes. So we gave we gave him back his money hmm. and got him a pair of shoes. And, and that story stood out to me uh, on what type of a kid he was that he was gonna give his last two hundred dollars that he had play basketball Uh, and have a pair of shoes. That's a tough one when I think about him.
1: What's it like when you get that call? It's not the first one that you've received or or somebody that you coached or interacted with uh, as a teacher or a coach. What's it like when somebody calls you and says, guess what happened?
3: Yeah, that... I mean, it brought tears to my eyes. I mean, in in the last week, we lost two kids. I lost a kid. uh, Jalen Suggs' cousin, Mike Bell, was murdered in South Minneapolis about on Thursday. And then Two days later, Dion was murdered. So, you know, losing two kids like that that I had very close relationship with, it felt like it was a gut punch, you know, to hear that. And uh, like I said, you know, as well as Mike Bell was, but Dion always had a special place in my heart just because, you know, I just recently uh, was uh, was helping him. He got back into in the school, the North Dakota School of Science Junior College in Wapen in North Dakota, and he's playing there. And then two months ago, the coach, who's a good friend of mine, and he's still in English at Augsburg, told me that Deion had left campus and wasn't there any longer. So I knew when he came back home, I knew the demons were out waiting on him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I was just hoping that he would have stayed because I didn't want him to come back and be in this environment that, that we that we had to deal with right now.
1: Well, take me to the next step. You, you say that, and a lot of us don't relate to it. So he's at the North Dakota School of Science, and he decides – this isn't for me, and even though he's got the athletic talent, so he comes back. What happens? He comes back to what? Is there a gang waiting for him? What's waiting comes for back. him back here?
3: Well, I just think that he comes back to his comfort zone. I mean, a lot of his friends, you know, when you're when you are in, in that environment, sometimes you're product of your environment, even if you're not, you know, you can say you're not all even all the way in, but at the end of the day, boy, if you got one fit in, to me, you're all the way in because even if you're not the guy with the crew that's doing all of the dirty work in the streets, you still have affiliation, you know, and I'm not saying that, that he did or he didn't, I'm just saying if you hang around with that type of environment, you're around it, I think you can be an innocent bystander and stuff like that can happen. You know, it's been talked about in times. innocent bystanders stand downtown the of the apples or certain places, and they get, you know, they get they, they, or the murder wherever just by crossfire, like the young lady who was murdered at that truck stop bar off West 7th Street a few months back, she was the girlfriend of one of my ex-players, and she was just in a bar, and the guy's opened fire, and she got hit in the crossbar. had nothing to do with it. Hmm. So even my own son goes out all the time, and I tell him, you know, stay away from downtown just because of a situation like that. He's not involved in it at all. Do, do,
1: usually, uh, if kids, when we talk about them getting into the wrong thing, are, are most of the things that start those, 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 uh, the gun violence, is it drug-related or not always? <clears throat>
3: No, nah, I just think it's you know kids just fighting. over, you know you got a lot of fake tough guys. You know what I'm yeah. saying? And, and it's always about respect, to, right? Yeah. The quickest way to even the score is to pull a pistol out. You know what I mean? And I and don't get me wrong. I mean you know um, things happen, but you know there's so much uh, so much more gunplay now than there has been in past years. You just you don't really say, feel safe anywhere because honestly, it can happen in many Minnetonka, just as well as it can happen downtown Minneapolis or in St. Paul. It's that prevalent right now in the community. And it's not just all black kids. It's, it's several races that are involved in these type of hideous crimes, like the young kid, that, that the Hill kid that was murdered in North Minneapolis. Uh-huh. He was killed by, uh, uh, I believe, it, I want to say, a, 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 a gentleman that wasn't an uh, African-American. Correct. And then, you know, that kid was murdered face upon a shoulder pump, it had nothing to do with gangs or <laughs> nothing like that. So, you know, I mean, it's just it's just tight out here on these kids. It's tough.
1: You know, you you work with and you you get a chance to speak to a lot of different kids in your in your summer basketball program. And and what do you tell them? What do you tell them about where to hang out, what to do, especially right now in this point? Do you tell them there are certain places that you just can't go, or what do you tell them?
3: I just tell them, you know, at the end of the day, this life is full of choices. You can talk to these kids. So you're blue in the face. There are several kids in my program, and several kids that I talk to all the time on a regular basis. But at the end of the day. I know when they leave me, a lot of them, I know I might not I never see him again. and He's one of them, you know. I just made a post on Twitter probably about two weeks ago, and Deion made a comment there, like, what's up, coach? Yeah. Blah, 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 or whatever. And that's the last contact I had with him, but it was a positive interaction. You know, and uh, to be honest with you, Deion's a kid, honestly, that he's one of the last kids that I would expect to hear that uh, did that, mm. was involved in that situation, you know. So, that's why for me it's very gut wrenching, and uh, it's usually you know they try to say it's it's black on black crime, but I don't believe that. I believe that it's white, black, native, you name it. I mean, there's so much crazy stuff going on in today's society. I don't believe that it's just in the only in the inner city. There's a lot of stuff where one of my ex players got murdered in Woodbury about five months ago in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a suburban cul-de-sac. So it's it's choices that kids make, but at the end of the day, um. I don't feel like there's no safe haven in, in, in no more in the communities like it has been in years past. Do you feel,
1: like, do you know uh, of the kids that you work with when they get to be 17, 18, do you know who's carrying uh, guns, who's packing heat and that kind of stuff or not? Do they hide it?
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, when you have relationships like us with the kids, I mean, yeah, you know, man. It ain't like they run and say, hey, coach, I got a 9 millimeter or anything yeah. like that, but I mean, you just know. Yeah, when you've been in it, up in it, you've been around like me, you know, and you know a lot of them, they come to the school we go to, and they might, they might put their pistol, you know, hidden in a bush or somewhere in a trash can when they come out of school. A lot of them, you know, are worried about riding the light rail without the the op, you know, opposite gang members maybe jumping on them or open fire on them, so they're in survival mode. A lot of these kids, and that's all they know they don't have a lot of positive male figures at home weighed on them a lot of them being raised by single moms and that single mom's white or black and really to me that's a lot of it is there's not a lot of positive male figures in the household with these young men and that's part of the reason why so much of this is going on
1: now, uh, on, a, on a positive note, uh, I was at uh, watching you guys uh, run your workout a couple of weeks ago in uh, uh, in Woodbury, and, and Sizzle opened it up, and, and I think that what I heard was they expected two hundred kids to show up for an open tryout for basketball, and instead four hundred showed up. How, how do you explain that?
3: I mean, I think it's just you know when you put the the mm-hmm. the, the, the type of time that Larry Suggs, myself, Quincy Caldwell. Uh, Ice Phillips, who does administrative assistant for me, we put so much time and energy. You know, my dad started with me twenty some years ago. You know, there only you in life, you only you know if you're lucky enough, you're only hot so many times. Michael Jackson was hot. Michael Jordan, Howard Pulley was hot for a long time. E1 Minnesota was hot. I think this is just our time right now. I just think you know what, what stuff we got going on, kids, we're very very prevalent in social media. Uh, we always are posting stuff positive about our kids no matter whether it's football, baseball, basketball, girls, or whatever, alumni, and the kids, uh, kids I think, statewide, nationally, watch sizzle. We've been fortunate enough to have the type of stage uh, to have kids like Jalen or Chen and Prince of Leg Bay, where we played on ESPN during the pandemic when we were the only high school team in Minnesota that was playing on a major stage on ESPN during the pandemic, where we played against some of the top-rated players in the country. And those kids watched that. They follow us. I think every time we do something like the fact we had Brayden Carrington and won Mr. Basketball last week, we've had two, we've had two, uh, I mean, three in a row, Mr. Basketballs, you know, Jalen Suggs, Kent Holmwood, and now Brayden Carrington. All kids watch that, you know, so when they watch that, you know, and obviously um, on the girl side, we got several girls playing Division One. You know, my daughter plays D2 volleyball, was in our program. There's a ton of them that, uh, that, that I think that are following us on social media. You know, Jalen and those guys have down there a million followers. So everybody knows that him and Chet and Prince and a lot of other guys we got, Chase Carter, you know, and then the fact we got several ex Gopers and ex Pros that coach in our program. Randy Carter, uh, McDonald, different guys like that. So it's just a following I think we have. And, um, my sister, my sister and my mom do a lot of marketing stuff with their own individual circle at my churches and stuff like that. I used to build up a ton in our administrative side of, of marketing, of our web page different things, our social media pages. And right now, let's be honest, social media, if there were social media 20 years ago, those programs might have been still still at the highest level. We would be still kind of at the bottom, but I think our social media presence is so high. And then this year coming up again, we—you know, Chet Holmberg is probably going to be the number one pick in the draft. You got him, Jalen. We we're the only program in the state to ever have back-to-back top five picks let alone in the country. So all that stuff is what kids watch, and we just blessed to be a part of it.
1: Brian, thank you for talking to us as always. We'll do it again soon. Uh, stay well. Get that back fixed, okay? Yes, sir. All right, Brian Sanford, nice enough to join us in News Talk eight three zero WCCO. I heard of another incident today, and um, it's it's so disturbing and it's so repetitive that I don't know uh, if you can separate them. But I'll share with you something that I heard that happened last week in downtown Minneapolis, and I, and I again I'm scratching my head saying, "You got to be kidding me!" I'll tell you what it was next. Welcome back, sports to the Max News Talk eight three zero WCCO. Timberwolves tomorrow night against Washington. Twins tentative for Thursday in the opener. We've got it all covered. Uh, So I went over to a restaurant today in downtown Minneapolis. They told me the story about what happened last Thursday night. And I go, what do you mean what happened last Thursday night? That would have been the eve, by the way, of the final four uh, women's tournament the night before it and not that far removed from where many people stayed while they were here. They said five people came in. One had a pipe. One had a gun. They hit people. They pepper sprayed people. They did whatever they wanted to people. They assaulted them. And they said, and then we called the police, and we couldn't get a police officer here for 30 minutes, long after they had done their damage. That was in downtown Minneapolis, not far from where people were staying during the Final Four. I don't know if any of them were in the restaurant at that time or not, but it sounded like an incredibly scary situation. And as Brian Sandifer pointed out there, I mean, when, when is it going to get better? When, when are we going to trend and make this thing better than what it was? I mean, as I talked to the manager of that restaurant and she told me uh, in detail, graphic detail what happened, I said, you, you, you can't make this up. And then she said they came back and they banged on the windows outside with sticks as if just to say, we'll do whatever we want whenever we want, because there's no police officer that could get there in time. We've got a depleted police force as well. And um, we can get angry about it, we can jump up and down, but uh, a lot of people got a lot of different things they want to say about it, but there's not a lot of action being taken. And to think that those people are that vulnerable. How would you like to hire workers for that restaurant now? How would you like to say, hey, come work for us, and and, and, did you hear about what happened last Thursday night? And this is a good, clean restaurant, I eat there often. Uh, I won't share the name with you now. Maybe I'll get somebody on from there and they can recount what happened and you can understand it, but it was not far from where I work and it was certainly in the middle of what would have been, um, you know, final four festivities if people were out and about. Uh, there would have been a good chance that they could have stopped into that restaurant and been having a bite to eat uh, the night before if they were going to go to the game the next day. And it got ugly, as I understand it. And um, it um, it just scares you because you don't know when it's going to get better but I don't think it's anytime soon and we can sit here and pretend that, oh, we're this greatest city, we're the greatest. No, we're not. We're Minnesota and we're not the, as great as we thought we were. And Minneapolis ain't as great as, 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 as the city thought it was. It's just not. And, and the first step, as they always say, is admitting you have a problem and there's still some people that don't understand what the problem is. They don't understand it. They don't get it. Uh, they, they don't see what this does. And um, and until some of those people get it, understand it. Be careful, man. Be careful where you travel. Be careful where you travel. And I feel so bad for the people that run they run a top notch great restaurant. Clean, good food the whole bit, you know. And then you deal with all that bunch of BS. And now you gotta worry about how quickly a cop can be dispensed to the scene. (sighs) I guess if you live long enough, you see lots of things, don't you? I guess if you live long enough, you see lots of things that aren't so good. And then there was that shooting outside the Target Center on early Sunday morning. Now, you know, the Final Four crowd wasn't there, uh, but that, that, that transmits and resonates, and people talk about that stuff the next day, and they keep talking about it. And every time they talk about it, now we had a whole bunch of guests in here from other parts of the country that can talk about it. That's really good, isn't it? Um, like I said, until you understand it, until you go down there and live it, until you talk to the people that are in this area, don't comment on it. I'll be back again Wednesday night to do a lot of commenting on a lot of different things on sports to the max. Henry Lake's coming up
0: next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on What's in Your Podcast queue. And guess what?